afternoon, good morning, good evening, welcome to the All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast. It's number 70. What an impressive number that is. And we have an impressive guest joining us as well. Um, he has 70 minutes of content to get into this Insight Podcast. Rafe Blanford joins us. Hello, Rafe. Hello, you do, do I really count as a guest when I turn up to every podcast? Yes, yeah. Okay, you're, fair you're, enough. You're, you're like you're like Doctor Zachary Smith in Lost in Space. Excellent. Well, I always wanted to have an evil um, moustache. Excellent. Yeah, but you probably end up with one of those little tiny ones that makes you look like you're in an Alan Bleasdale play. Well, this is true, but and then in the remake, I end up being totally weakened in a nonsensical character and played by Cillian Murphy. Yes. Well, I can't have everything. No, no. There we go. Um, only one thing, though, Rafe. Right. You, you might have 70 minutes of contest, but this is a 40-minute podcast. Yeah, and I think you've got 210 <laughs> minutes of content, haven't you? I have, yeah. I mean, what about that? Oh, I'll do one or two words about the Nokia Lumia 1020, 5,000 words later. Yeah. It's well, like I was possessed by you and Steve. Not to mention all the people complaining about the fact you hardly ever mentioned the camera in the review. I mean, that was because it was a review all about the smartphone, because... We've seen lots of 1020 coverage, but it's really been all about the camera. But it's a pretty good smartphone. But uh, perhaps we'll come back to that later. I think we should, yeah. Because there, but let's just briefly address why I didn't touch on the camera that one. It's because I'm not that great at camera stuff. Yeah, that's true. It's certainly the specialism that Steve and I tend to take on more. Steve is the uh, real technical user who crops down to one-to-one pixels. I like to think I have an understanding of the technology and the consumer mindset. But we each come from a slightly different approach. But what's amazed me most about the 1020 is that even Ewan can take good photos with it. Well, well, above average. Well, I mean, it looks like you've actually made an effort rather than some of the photos I've seen Ewan take with otherwise what are very good camera phones. It's actually quite difficult to be that bad if you try, but it's a special it's skill, a skill, Ewan. It's a special skill. Uh, and in terms of not having that camera bit, and I suppose, Rafe, with your editor's hat on, there's a balance between getting a review out alongside all the other websites, but also trying to add to that content and not being as superficial as you would have to be in a race for first. That's absolutely right. We've always said that we're more interested in doing high quality content, you know, sharing our opinion. And actually not very many people have talked about the smartphone. So it was part of the reason we we had a priority on that quite apart from Ewan's photo skills uh, aside. uh, It's nice to get a review handset first before you guys, I have to say. I mean, when was the last time it was, what, the N96 or something? And even then, it wasn't actually, no, what, but the N9300. Yeah, I I can't actually remember. But Euron, as people will know who read the site regularly, often uh, takes on later on and does the kind of the longer term test when he goes off to texas for south by or for some other conference and in the same way we're actually going to have steve taking a more detailed look at the camera in the next week so you can expect basically a review part that will probably be just as extensive as on the smartphone just on the camera and then lots of little features talking around camera performance and whether that's an issue or not we've you know had some comment already on shot to shot time and startup time as well as how some of the technology works and i'll also be revisiting the, the 1020 more from a, a strategy point of view talking about whether it's a, a halo or a hero device something you did touch on in his review but uh, perhaps we should um, do a 1020 section to finish off the podcast since that's what everyone wants to know about we'll make them listen to all the other bits first okay but i have to make a bet with you first go on then one shiny pound that steve thinks that the 808 is a better camera than the 1020 no i i won't take that <laughs> i think steve you, is you going think to he's gonna, you think he will 
I, I think Steve will equivocate and say the 808 is technically better in some situations, but the 1020 is a better overall camera. Uh, we shall see. And you shall all see it out there as well. Now we've filled the content for the rest of the week and a proper throw forward like you would in a Jerry Anderson serial all about windowsphone.com. You don't need the www, but it does at least make me feel like I'm not the only person on the planet who realizes what the World Wide Web is for. Um, Strategy is a good one as well, though, Rafe. Let's spin on that because there's another phone launch that we've had since the 1020 from Nokia. Let's just say Samsung and HTC have been rather quiet this week. Uh, the 625. Much as the pure view camera on the 1020 is a key element, I think the 625 is just as key for Nokia's long-term success in the market. Uh, I think that's absolutely right. The Nokia Lumia 65, people immediately think, oh, is that a success to the 620? Actually, it's really another entry in the mid-tier space. And what it is, it's a big-screened, cheap phone that's got LTE connectivity. And sometimes, you know, Nokia comes out with these phones you know, does that really have a space in the portfolio? But for me, this is something that did kind of create a new space. And actually, this idea of big screen phones is a relatively new concept. I mean, Samsung has enjoyed a lot of um, success with kind of pushing this concept. It's not something we've really seen Nokia do before. It's not quite into what's kind of rather cringeworthily known as the phablet territory. But it's certainly, you know, it's the biggest screen Lumia device so far. Now, it is a cheap device. And so there are some compromises in the spec that we'll get to in a minute. But I think that's kind of interesting that, you know, you get surprised there's yet another segment in this mid-tier. But you're right, talking about the overall picture, actually Nokia's found more success with Windows Phone in this lower and mid-tier, thinking about devices like the Lumia 520, the 620, even the 720 as well, than it arguably has at the high end. I mean, I've said, you know, in the past, I think that's because Windows Phone is actually more competitive in many ways at the low end. That's partly a reflection of, you know, the high end is very competitive, but also the way that Windows Phone as a platform is put together. You know, it works very well on the low end device. There's very little, you know, difference in the experience you get compared to a high end device once you look past the, you know, the hardware differences. And you know, obviously that does have an impact on the experience as well. So it was interesting to see Nokia release this, and it's also going to come out pretty quickly. It's going to be available probably the first week of September. So we're talking about just over a month from the announcement to the launch. And for a low-end handset, that's pretty impressive. We saw something similar with the earlier devices. The 1020 also got that. In terms of the price point, €220 Euros for an LTE device. That's a 4G connectivity. Many people are going to go, what's the point in having 4G? But it is a coming thing. Lots of operators are starting to invest money in it and to push it. And so they want people on 4G handsets. At the high end, not a problem. The mid-tier, there are fewer of these types of handsets around. And obviously, this is a first for Windows Phone to have 4G at that price point. I also think it means in the UK, we'll probably see a high street price of around £200 or so. But just as with the other handsets, it will drop as time goes by. And I would, would be willing to bet it approaches the £150 mark for Christmas, which starts to get very interesting from a pay-as-you-go point of view for this kind of, you know, spec big screen LTE. The actual design, you know, we'll talk about that in a minute as well. But, I mean, was it something that caught your eye, Ewan? It, it does. I'm, I think it's everybody's been following, um, mostly because you guys don't let me review the other handsets. I mean, kind of being turned into the low to mid-end specialist on the site. And, and the 625 catches my eye for a couple of reasons. The first one is, as you've already mentioned, an LTE device in page you go, especially in, a, in the UK market. Everything everywhere is 
not going to be 4G exclusive across the country. The rest of the networks are going to be coming on stream in the near future. And they're going to want people on this. The other thing you, you forgot to mention, Rafe, is they can advertise 4G LTE as fast internet and get another £5 on everybody else's bill. Uh, <laughs> That's right. And, 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 you know, it's just like, oh, all the prices are going down, prices are going down, prices are going down. Oh, you need to have data. Have another £5 on the bill. Uh, so it kind of helps the bottom line as well, and it ties people into long-term contracts. If they're on the monthly, it's another two years uh, with an extra £5 on the bill. You know, all all starts to add up. Uh, so I think it's very helpful. Obviously, Nokia have had a long relationship with Everything Everywhere or EE or the Kevin Bacon Network, uh, however they want to describe it. So I'd expect 65 to appear on that one, but it's probably not going to be an exclusive hassle. I think Nokia are going to want this out wide uh, and across all the partners, uh, certainly in the UK. I also think much as we call it a low-end handset, when we look at something like the BRIC countries, uh, you know, Brazil, Russia, India, and, and the Caucasus, <laughs> the Caucasus, yes, Georgia, Turkey, and, Asia, and Azerbaijan, and all of that, uh, the BRIC countries, this isn't going to be a low-end handset. This is going to be a, not aspirational, but a, a relatively high-specced, you know, priced slightly higher than the sort of standard of living would suggest. That's kind of really strange roundabout way of saying, I think the 65 is actually going to be a high watermark handset in the BRIC countries. Uh, yes, uh, it's a slightly tautological way to say it, but I, it is, I agree. Yeah, think of a better one. I, the only thing I'd say with 4G, it's obviously going to be dependent on those networks having 4G. Obviously, there are some of those coming out in the BRIC countries, but I think perhaps it will find it strongest in some of the European markets. We'll have to wait and see on that one. But you're right also, you have to bear in mind that kind of this, the trend for the big screen is most popular in the Asian markets. Um, and so obviously that's going to time with that there. And it's entirely possible that we'll see sort of variants on this that... Uh, don't carry 4G. I mean, Nokia said we wouldn't see those in Europe, and I think it's probably unlikely they'll yeah. maybe uh, launch another handset. But I wouldn't be surprised to see a Chinese variant of this handset, for example. Um, so we'll have to wait and see on that one. But it also strikes me that this is quite an interesting device for enterprise, just as you know the 720 was, and arguably the 520 as well. Um, it offers sort of another. And you're great. It's not low end. It's it's really a mid tier handset. The 520 is the only Windows phone device that really truly qualifies as uh, low end. But um, maybe we should talk just very briefly about the design of the handset. I mean, it's got some nice features on it in terms of you know it's sort of Gorilla Glass too and sort of rounded edges. The screen itself though is pretty low resolution. It's 480 by 800, so that's a, a pixel density of sort of 215 or so uh, pixel uh, per inch, I should say. Yeah, and it's on a 4.7-inch LCD screen as well, isn't it? Yeah, so what that means is you can definitely see the individual pixels. How much of a big deal that is really depends on your point of view. There are handsets out there that you know have even bigger screens with that same resolution. You know, Samsung have done a couple of them, and you know when you're talking about this price point, obviously compromises get made on the design. But that's a good thing or not? It's an interesting one. Having used a a higher resolution screen in the form of the 925, putting it side by side, the difference is very obvious and it's a bit annoying. But having used the 720 at that resolution and not really noticed it, I'm not sure it would bother me. The one exception is maybe the use case when you're reading lots of text on screen and you can get a bit of eye strain. To me, the bigger issue is the actual screen quality. And in this handset, Nokia, that actually emitted clear black display from the specification. It does have some extras like super sensitive touch and sunlight readability enhancements, but it's a, an LCD screen. And so 
I felt the colours didn't pop quite as they do on the AMOLED screens. And it just didn't feel the, the same screen quality as, say, the 620 and the 720. Um, people who have seen a 520 will know what I'm talking about when it's a lower quality screen. I think the, the 625 is a little better than the 520. Um, but that's obviously going to be an issue. Again, it's something you notice if you put it side by side, if you start using maybe less of an issue. But I think that's going to be the kind of the talking point as is that a, a good or a bad thing on this handset? Um, power users are going to immediately go, no, not good enough, but they're not going to be buying this handset in the first place. And so sort of ignore their point of view. I think for the person who might be looking at this, it's a, a more open question. On, I mean, on the, in terms of the resolution, though, I mean, I know people are going to go, oh, it's not rent, it's, not rent. it's got more PPI than the iPad mini. That, that's true. It's got more than the original or the iPhone th- uh, 3G, for example. Yeah, I mean, it's 201 PPI if we actually want to take the numbers on that one. Yeah. Um, that's, that's relatively high. And I know, oh, you can't see the individual pixels. You know what? I'm, I'm slight rant here. I think people just latched onto this idea of a retina display as A, the last thing that Steve Jobs gave the world in his reality distortion field, and B, because everything else is good enough. And you can't get a good story or or create controversy when you're doing hardware with everything is good enough. Uh, so they um, latched onto this idea of retina um, as the as the sort of benchmark must. I mean, it's just you just got to pass 300 dpi or something. Yeah, uh, and I'd be inclined to agree, especially on Windows Phone, where I think the the live tiles and the modern UI kind of lend itself to actually looking reasonable on those lower resolution displays. And as you say, it's kind of the good enough principle which really rules the compromise decisions on, on mid-tier devices you know would you be happier to only have four gigabytes of internal memory no that would be very bad because that has a substantially bigger impact it has got eight gigabytes it's got a micro sd card the other thing that kind of caught my attention about it was the design it uses kind of removable shells yet it's still got an integral battery so some people will say that's the worst of both worlds other people will look on it and say well i'm glad to have exchangeable covers you know the personality aspect of it those exchangeable covers are uh, polycarbonate it's actually similar to the dual shot on the 620 although i think they're a slightly cheaper uh, version or cheaper to make but they work quite effectively you've got the kind of plastic inner layer and then on the outside is a, a translucent layer of various colors and uh, so it's made out of polycarbonate and they kind of almost have this this glow coming out of them in certain lighting conditions um you know it's got this same pillowy back that's been described on other lumia devices like the 620 which means it sits comfortably in the hand despite being quite a a big handset and so it's just got just enough to make it stand out a little more from you know your bog standard mid-tier devices much as the 620 did and that was a, a very popular device so i think this has got a lot of potential but we'll be talking more about it once we get the uh, review handset in now, there's also an interesting statistical thing that I want to bring up here, Rafe. Yeah. So, uh, very quickly, uh, without looking at the script, because this bit isn't in the script, how many second-generation Windows phones have Nokia now released? Ooh, uh, second-generation... Quickly, quickly, quickly. I'd say it's probably 25 million, something like that. I'll kind of make model numbers. Oh, uh, well, it's it depends on whether you count variants, but it's about 10 if you include the variants. It's 11 if you include variants. Ah, there okay, we go. Okay, how about first-generation? Uh, there were f- six, including the variants. Six, including the variants. So this is almost, almost at the tipping point. We've now doubled first generation, second generation. Now the sixty-five is the handset that has doubled the number of model choices that's out there. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Yes, mm. it's just a, a little statistical quirk that I thought. Oh, that's interesting. Um, it certainly gives you know evidence of Nokia's intention to do this 
cadence of releases, you know, keep releasing new handsets every couple of months, partly to focus attention on the platform and the Lumia range, but also it's very it's much... It's to a couple of weeks now, like a couple <laughs> of months. I, I think it'll be a bit of a gap until we see the, the next ones. But I think it's an interesting strategy. Some people say just do one handset, but Nokia has always excelled in sort of creating a handset for everybody and that's very much still its aim right across the range. If you, you, know, you then bring in the Asher device and the Series 40 devices, um, there is a danger, of course, that you flood the market and then people don't know which one to choose. But I think it's also worth remembering that not every operator will range every handset. So although we may talk about 11 Windows Phone 8 devices, in most cases, you're going to go into an operator shop and you're probably going to see three of them at most. And it will be you know a low-end one, a mid-tier one, and a high-end one. Uh, there will be exceptions to that, but and it will depend on your operator. So I think that can get um, overplayed as a criticism. You realise now that there's somebody who's already left a comment going, well, I've counted them, and you have, you forgot to count the 521. That gives you 12 handsets. And if you take the, the Verizon variants and count the T-Mobile ones separately because they have a different chassis size, you're at 13 now, so you're wrong. Yeah, well, not to mention the 505 <laughs> in Mexico, which is actually one of the uh, best-selling handsets in Latin America. Um, yeah, but we don't talk about Mexico. Well, why would we talk about Mexico? There's a big, big fence there between Mexico and the rest of the world if you were in Texas. <laughs> yes, that's just right. Offend all our Texas and Mexican listeners, all three well, of you. Oh, I think you offended them more. <laughs> right, should we do the 1020 then, or should we do something else first and keep teasing? Oh, let's keep teasing. We've we got a few uh, news items to work through, I think. Job lens? I think I'm yes. going to need that soon if I keep these sort of up to Mexico. Yeah, Joblens, this is actually an app from Nokia. It's already launched in the US, but I went along to the UK launch this week. It, it's kind of hard to describe, but it's essentially a job listing app that's kind of leavened through the social uh, context. What I mean by that, and location as well. What I mean by that, it provides job listings, but it'll also tie into your social networks, LinkedIn and Facebook to try and recommend you jobs and also use people in your network to give you connections to the recruiters. That That's interesting. I think that kind of filtering is quite clever and it will also learn as you go along. Uh, but the, the thing that caught my eye was actually the location element of it. Most job listings only include a generic location. What this does is try and make that more specific and will then show you on a map. And there's also an augmented reality view thanks to live site which is actually where the job lens names kind of comes from you hold up scan around can see the jobs in the immediate area it gets that location information by aggregating data from multiple sources so it's doing getting you know job listings from indeed.co.uk this is in the case of the uk but then also picking up information from yellow pages and a couple of other services about the addresses of those companies so it can link them to a job it then also does information about salary that comes from pay scale so as a result you get a much richer uh, job listing the app will then go on to help you you apply for a job do things like the cv as well as doing background checks on the kind of the neighborhood so you can see what kind of place that you you would be working in all of that i mean there are still a few rough edges to it but it's a very impressive piece of uh, technology and that it's combining some of Nokia's cutting edge stuff on the location side with a certain amount of data aggregation uh worth downloading having a look at it's also kind of an example of how to create a, a windows phone app that uses all those cutting edge features and uh you know it's launched as i say in the us and now the uk Nokia do plan to launch it in some additional european markets as well as part of this they're also launching a partnership with a kind of something that's encouraging young entrepreneurs and wanting to build on top of that but there's more about that on the site if you'd like to read some more 
on job lens. I'm assuming it's got a scale so you can set the distance from where you are, otherwise there'll just be a great big clump where, where it's already released. Yeah, it will just show you the, the latest the sort of stuff that's uh, closest by to you, and some of that is adjustable as well. Uh, I mean, honestly, I think the augmented reality view, while it's a nice technical demonstrator, probably is less useful than just seeing it displayed on a map. I mean, it's this same issue with augmented reality. When does that really become useful? I think I've said before, I feel that augmented reality is nice for certain applications, particularly when you're overlaying kind of data richer than just, um, you know, points of information, um, or when you're trying to navigate in the last hundred yards, you know, you've arrived in the street and for some reason you can't identify the shop or the business that you're trying to get to. And quite often I've used uh, the city lens or which is Docker's technology using now integrated into uh, here maps in the form of live site to just find that last hundred meters or so of navigation it can be useful if you can't find a, a street number or a, you know an obvious bit of hoarding saying what the business is um in this instance may be less useful right then uh 10 20 or keep teasing uh well we'll keep 10 teasing we'll do the 10 20 last rule apart from our app picks maybe but oh, um yeah. should we talk about gaming and there's actually well i just want yeah. to mention very briefly it's unity 4.2 has had its formal release why is that interesting well this is the first version that's available for windows or rather has windows phone support it's been in beach for a while and that's how we've got games like temple run uh, as well as some drag racing games its formal release means it's kind of available for all developers some of the bugs have been fixed you know it now works better on the 512 megabyte devices and i suspect we'll see a lot more uh, games being released that are running on unity 4.2 we already had uh, a couple of them there's dogfight and there's a cricket championship game they both come out in the last week or so kind of graphically intensive you sometimes referred to as the console quality titles uh, but mainly this is about porting games from other platforms so if a developer's created something using unity for ios or android they now now can get it onto windows phone uh, much more easily so i'd expect to see an uptick in some of the uh, indie games being released on the windows phone platform also interesting that unity have their great big developer conference at the end of august as well so you know the fact that this is left now makes me think i wonder if there's going to be something bigger coming up and um, unity is is doing their best to create a sort of unified platform the clue is in the name um and you know Again, you know, we've talked about how operating systems like to have a UI that sits on top of the complicated stuff. Unity wants to sit on top of the UI that sits on top of the complicated stuff and commoditize everything underneath it and make Unity the key point for developers. It's a very interesting strategy because it does allow porting to be slightly easier across the handsets and it does make for faster development by developers but it, it does kind of leave Unity in a very interesting position in terms of leveraging developers handsets and entire ecosystems it's true i mean effectively what you've got here is a gaming engine that does a lot of the heavy lifting for you and it's going to be a very attractive to developers creating cross-platform games and that always going to be good because it basically increases the number of places that you can sell your game but i would imagine that every platform raises a slightly wary eyebrow simply because it gives away a certain amount of control and for example integrating uh, xbox live controls or achievements into a unity game i would imagine it's going to be a little bit harder because that's extra work you have to do on top of the motivation given it's not a cross-platform thing may not be quite as strong but i think on the whole it can only be seen as a good thing it's quite clear looking at android and ios that the vast majority of games now come on a gaming engine of some description and uh, windows phone 
was very lacking in that up until Windows Phone 8. We've now seen a whole raft of them being released. Uh, but Unity was probably, you know, the biggest, most high-profile one. And it's been available in beta, as I say, but this formal release kind of will mark an important point. And kind of reflecting that, it's also available for Windows 8. And there's kind of a competition going on, uh, which significant cash prizes can be won for those that are, are submitting games powered by the Unity engine, either into the Windows Phone store or the Windows 8 store. Yeah. Right, Order and Chaos Online. If we're talking about big things coming to Windows Phone, this has to be one of them. Gameloft's Fantasy MMORPG. Rafe, what does MMORPG stand for? Uh, something about massively multiplayer online role-playing game. Hey, there we go. You Wikipedia that relatively quickly. Congratulations. Um, already available for iOS and Android. Um and for some time as well, the Android uh, version, um, sorry, the iOS version came out back in 2011 and Android followed on relatively quickly after that. Essentially, it's a single world that sits in a number of servers. You log on as a character, you start with no experience, very little things to do. You're given quests, you get money, you can build things, you can pair up with other people and do quests. That, If you ever touched the idea of World of Warcraft, it's exactly the same thing. World of Warcraft was not um, the sort of flag-waving, we've created this brand new concept. There was a lot of stuff beforehand. Uh, and Order and Chaos is just another one of these connected worlds. But it's especially focused on a mobile experience. So, for example, you can go into that sort of first-person experience when you're looking out the eyes of your character. You can go back to third-person with the camera to sit behind them. Uh, and as the game says, uh, you take part in two factions, the faction of order or the faction of chaos. Uh, and there's also cunningly a neutral in between if you just like to sit there and make cuckoo clocks and uh, sit inside mountains and uh, have some chocolate uh, and, and develop a recipe for Toblerone um, while everybody else is having fun in the game world. It's huge, it's complicated, you really do need to, to be a fan of, of the genre, I think, here, Rafe. Um, it's not one that you can just, oh, well, see what that's like. Um, it will just leave you confused. But graphically, because it's this 3D engine, it's huge world, a lot of it is rendered and held on the server, a lot of information going through, it actually looks really, really nice. Playing it's a, it's, it's a bit clunky again, you're restricted to just that touch screen and you've got controls that you have to move around and interact in a 3D environment but it works and uh, there are people out there that are going to love this. If you think back to the N-Gage, something like Pocket Kingdom, um, which seemed very spreadsheet based and most people just went, oh don't get this huge following um, relative to the number of people with the N-Gage um, that really enjoy the Pocket Kingdom uh, connected game and we have the same here with Order and Chaos. It's a niche title that's known in mobile that has been brought to Windows Phone and yes it is later than the other platforms but it's here now and I'm going to focus on that bit as the good news. Yeah it's an interesting one I have to say from a personal point of view I don't really have an interest in this sort of game but it's just going to I guess another this pattern of Windows Phone starting to pick up some of these games and apps um, that otherwise it's it, it's not you know a total narrowing narrowing of the the app gap but it is a you know a significant improvement. One of the things you know when I was at the launch of Joblens uh, this week, I actually spoke to um, Nokia's Brian Biniak, who's kind of responsible for. You know, developer experiences. Feed in the last twenty-four hours. E exactly, and um, <laughs> I was asking him about the app gap, and he said, 
you know, yes, acknowledge it still exists. And actually we talked about how there's a, a perception problem as much as anything else. But then he rather surprised me with a rather bold statement and saying, you know, all those apps that you're waiting for, we're going to get them and we're going to get them by Q1 of next year. There won't be a problem there. Um, I, I said to him, you know, that's rather a, a bold statement. Are you absolutely sure about that? He said, yes, I, I'm absolutely confident. Now, did I don't think that on the record. He did say that on the record. That's good, because if he'd said it off the record, we would have been in trouble now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we would have been. And well, all the, so, Hold on. All the apps we're waiting for. Yeah. I, I mean, I all think... Yeah, I, I was going to say it, it's dangerous. I and mean, we were talking about some things like UK banking apps, uh, the obvious one like Instagram, and there are, you know, seals and holes. I, I think obviously the expectation that absolutely everything will arrive, obviously that's not going to happen, but there are still, you know, a few. Lied, lied to us then. Lied to you, Ray. <laughs> You've been played. There are still quite a number of high profile titles, you know, still to arrive. But it's not difficult, to, you know, given that we've had things like BBC iPlayer and Hulu arrive, you know, those on-demand things, lots of banking apps have arrived in the last six months. You know, it's possible to see how that core will get there. And, you know, it's not an unfair estimate, but they're going to have to step up a certain amount of activity in the, the, the next six months. I think the issue then actually becomes partly around perception and then whether developers choose to release a Windows Phone version at the same time as Android and iOS. You know, for a lot of games that are of the moment, you know, launching six months later, as happened with something like Draw Something, isn't going to be good enough. And, you know, Candy Crush, I guess, would be the current example of something that's missing that will need to arrive sooner rather than later if it's to you know, have a real impact. But it was interesting to see that kind of change in attitude let me pick up on that Candy Crush one, because I think that the key here is that rather than, oh, we need to promote it and everything, I think the case is developers need to see the money. Candy Crush is bringing in something like $630,000 a day uh, for King.com. It's a British-based company. Um, and it's, it's just like, well, you know, everything is in place. If you wanted to do Windows Phone, it's not like you don't have the resources. It's not like that you could go to it and you go, here's Candy Crush, here's a Windows Phone, Here's a million pounds. How hard can it be? Uh, and so they have that. And also, you know, when you still have the BBC, when they uh, recently launched their weather application, um, yeah, they released an Android version, they released an iPhone version, um, but they said, oh, it, it took us six times the amount of development work to do the Android versions. They still haven't done an iPad version uh, because they didn't think the demand was there. What hope does Windows Phone have? Well, this is one of the things I also talked about with... Uh the Nokia representative. And it was interesting. He was saying it's a question of time. And actually, I think that's right. You know, this is a, a classic network effect problem. What I mean by that is that you know you have to have enough devices out there to justify development. And I think you can say it's a bit of a chicken and egg problem. You know, will you sell enough until those apps are available? But you know, the number of Lumia devices in particular, with you know Windows Phone dominating 80% plus of the Windows Phone sales, uh, it's actually starting to get up there and it's possible to see that getting above 10 million a quarter and suddenly it starts meaning that developers do have to start paying attention because you know, it represents not a big chunk but a significant chunk of the market you know currently about five percent depending on how you look at it once you get to 10 percent, i think that starts to be a bit more of the, the magic number so i suspect that's where some of the confidence around yes they will arrive um you know, these apps will come uh, came from and I kind of think the most interesting thing was Anokia spent a lot of time reaching out to developers, talking to them. And uh, Brian Brannerick said, 
the conversation has changed. It's not a if, it's a when conversation now. And that's obviously kind of speaking towards the fact there'll be a lot of releases in the next six months. I mean, people think, you know, a company makes a decision to release a Windows Phone version. It can therefore happen a few weeks later. No, often the development cycle can take, you know, a significant amount of time. And obviously it varies from app to app or from a game or something like that. But sometimes the planning process can start and it will be anything up to a year before it comes out. It depends how complicated the back-end system, whether any special things need to be done. Windows Phone equally well, sometimes it can be done in very short order. We talk about the Unity game engine. Theoretically, it's possible to port things in a day or so. In, in practice, I think you probably need a couple of weeks to you know, check things out, polish them. It depends on testing regimes and all that kind of thing. I think for some of these high-profile apps, you are probably looking at a minimum of three to six months. So I suspect there's a lot of development work going on right now that we'll see the results of later in the year. Can you hear in the distance that tiny yelp of joy? <laughs> Can you hear the sun beaming down on Reading, piercing the darkness of the rain and the fog that is descending on the British summer? Can you hear the sound of blur-free photography? Ah, you're talking about the Rattley 1020. I am, yes, because uh, we just got a message on our Skype channel that Steve's got the 1020 in the post now. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's good news. So we'll hear more about Steve from the photography on next week's podcast. But... Yeah, and we're out of time on this week's podcast, so thanks very much for listening. <laughs> um, apologies to Matt Damon. We didn't have time to get to you this week. <laughs> I, think, I, think we should, uh, I think we should try and get a bit of 1020 discussion. You've had the handset for a, a few days. It's now, as you say, gone on to... Uh, Steve, the rattle we're referring to is actually a, a bit of a joke. It's something that comes in the box, but perhaps you could tell us about that, Ewan. Indeed, yeah, and I think this is a wonderful bit of marketing and focusing um, and information giving from AT&T. Uh, we only uh, got an AT&T handset uh, over from Nokia USA through various channels, uh, and um, also needs to get right back and all about Windows Phone as well. It's very yellow, I have to say. But inside the box is a little leaf that says, if you shake your phone and you hear a tiny rattle, that's okay. That's meant to happen. Uh, and that's because, of, of course, of the um, optical image stabilization, mechanical lens balls, actuators, magic tiny yells that are holding the lens up inside the Lumia 1020. Uh, but what I loved about that was it was in the box saying, look, it's got a rattle. We, we know that, so please don't call the call desk. But it's going to help you take great pictures. And so you open the box, even though you'll see the marketing, again, that message is reinforced this is for taking pictures. And then you have a leaflet that says, we'll give you free 20 by 30 poster print of a picture if you just email it to here with this voucher code. Um, and being British, I went, well, is that 20 by 30 in metric or imperial measurements? Um, still haven't found out, not even in the terms and conditions. Again, focusing on the, this is a photography camera. And then underneath you had a, a leaflet with an NFC chip in it with an embedded URL. So you tap the 1020 and it will take you to the, here's how to take a good photograph with your 1020. So that explains why you were able to produce some decent photos. That's it. Uh, that would be the ATT done something correct. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we like ATT in the moment. Yeah, that's great. But again, it's about focusing and it's about positioning. And I kind of moved around this in the review article. Um, and it comes back again to this Halo Hero question that, that you brought up that seems to be the, the most interesting thing here. The 1020 is not going to be the biggest selling Windows phone from Nokia this year. I, I, would, I would be surprised if you would disagree with that, Ray. No, I think the 520 will the, be the biggest seller. And even if we're looking at the high end, 
the reason I use this halo versus hero phrase, a hero handset is kind of a bit of industry speak for a handset that sells very well or sells maybe more than expected. Um, and when we say sells well, we're talking, you know, millions or even tens of millions of uh, hands uh, of sales and that's unit sales rather than you know financial sales you know the 1020 right at the top of its game but we talked a little bit about the price in the previous podcast you know 299 dollars on at&t bit of a red herring six, there six four nine dollars of contracts um, oh, of contracts to buy, it, to buy it right so, so at least we have an indication there of the price yeah that's right so a bit of a, a red herring there but more than that it's actually you know, the shape and the design of the device, it does have a camera hump on it. It's a lot smaller than I think most people realise in person. I mean, what did you make of that in terms of uh, having something on the back of the, the phone? Was it a big deal for you? I'm sorry, I don't make it. I'm not an industrial designer working in Esbury. Yay! <laughs> okay. Uh, close enough, close. I actually quite liked it. Um, given the choice between the sort of bulge and the flat base underneath and the sort of ridge the, the, the 920 was designed with. I think I prefer the 1020, partly because it also gave me almost like a finger hold on the back in, in, in the hand and sort of the hump that sort of rested on my middle finger and like a security catch or something. It just, it felt more secure in my hand um, because it wasn't this sort of tubular construction that would just easily slide out. It was like, oh, camera hub stopped it moving down. Um, so I didn't have a huge issue with it, to be, to be honest. But, but I think you might be the exception there. I mean, it really comes down to, yes. do, do you want to have this extra device or this extra space being taken up to have a, a camera that's, you know, no doubt about it is several leagues ahead of anything else on the market. You know, it is the best camera phone you can buy. There's no question. We're going to talk more about the imaging next time around, but just to, you know, put some numbers on this, this side issue. Uh, the 1020. It's 10.4 millimeters in the spec, but that's actually the non-hump yeah, area. The if you're including bit, yeah. the, the, the hump, it's 14.5 millimeters. You know, so we're talking about an extra four millimeters. Yeah, it's, it's almost in double at the hump of the Samsung Galaxy S. Yeah, and if you consider that, you know, something like the Lumia 925, that's 8.5 millimeters thick. You know, it's almost half again of that. You know, that you're having on top. So a lot of people are going to look at the Lumia 925 and go, that's actually still got a great camera in it. And it is going to get some of the you know software updates from the 1020. It's going to get pro camera and it will be good enough. And it goes back to what we said at the beginning about some of the mid-tier handsets, you know, what's good enough for you. And the 925, you know, takes some really great photos The you know, the 1020, um, you know, it's going to get compared to high-end point and shoots or DSLRs, but actually, in some ways, that DSLR comparison is apt because this is the DSLR of the camera phone world, whereas the 925 is the high-end, you know, point and shoot. And your standard mid-tier handsets are like your hundred-pound point and shoot camera. Now, actually, because they're camera phones in restrained conditions, you know, they're all not as good as a standalone camera. That's what you expect from a converged device. Um, but what are the cameras that sell most? It's the point and shoot. The DSLR is a kind of a specialist item. So I think the same will happen for the 1020. So that's where the kind of sales comes from. That's why it won't necessarily be a hero device, but it may be proved wrong. You know, see what priority people put on the camera, you know, how that ends up selling. But it will certainly be a halo device. And what I mean by a halo device is the positive impact it then has on everything else. People will hear about the Lumia brand from this. They'll hear about the amazing imaging innovation. And then they might go and look at some of the other Lumia handsets. So I expect the 925 in particular to benefit from this. But also it will have an impact on the other devices, 720, 625, 520 and so on. And I think that is 
because the 1020 stands out from the crowd, it's pretty unusual to come across a smartphone that has what is a mainstream you know, hardware feature. You know, they all have cameras that so clearly a long way ahead of anything else. You know, it's actually hard to think of another you know, smartphone that has, you know, a hardware-based feature that is just streaks ahead of everything else. And it's been all about software up until now. So, you know, Apple, when they came out with the iPhone, that software experience was, you know, way ahead of everything else. But also the capacitive screen on... on, on and I was going to say... The numbers. Yeah, that's about the only one I can think of in recent times is Apple putting capacitive on on the, the first iPhone. Uh, and uh, that's what I was going to say. Actually, it wasn't Apple the first to use capacitive screens, but uh, similar to that... But capacitive screens are something that's going to be a lot easier to replicate. You know, it's an off-the-shelf component compared to the 1020 cam- camera, which has, you know, a lot of specific engineering, both on the hardware and software side. And, you know, and a small, tiny elf. It does. <laughs> and holding up know, the lens and keeping it steady on a space hopper. Uh, other manufacturers, you know, can replicate this, but it's going to take them a little while to do so. And the HTC elves aren't going to be as efficient as the Finnish elves, are they? <laughs> I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> but... That's what I mean by that that halo status. You know, it's like any other brand. You know, people see it as an aspirational thing. And even if they don't own the object itself, the knock-on impact that it has, you know, it's kind of a psychology thing, if you will. Uh, It's hard to estimate what kind of impact that has. But looking at the media reaction to the 1020, everyone's saying, you know, it's the best Windows phone device out there it's an interesting one. If you're just looking at the high end, I think you can make that debate. I think the 925 is a pretty strong contender. Now I've gone back before and said, I think actually the 620 is in some ways the most outstanding Windows phone device overall. But of course, you know, whether how you measure best is rather a moving object. But nonetheless, it's the media talking about it. Everyone going, God, look at this amazing camera. Look at the results it's producing. They're being shared on Twitter and indeed everywhere else. And I think and that's where you can measure the 1020. You, you know, when you just go to the high street, you need to do a lot of research to to, discern, to determine if there is a halo effect happening on handsets like the 620. But when you look at the, the subset of the media reaction, uh, and especially the American websites, the 1020 has just like, boom, Nokia's back in the game. We're all going, we never kind of left. You just ignored them. Um, but everybody's just a little like, Oh, uh, you can't do that with a camera. And and Rafe's, um, we're, we're we're holding Steve back, going, don't hit them with the 808. Don't hit them with the 808. Um, also, oh, another bet for you. How long will it take Steve to spot that it says 909 in the about screen? Uh, not long at all. I think that one's quite well known. Yeah, you know, yeah. kind of underlining the fact it is a successor to the 808, uh, but both in real terms and yeah. I think spiritually in particular. But you know, I have to say that that media reaction, though, that's the one that's actually caught me by surprise. That whereas before people went, like, oh, it's Windows Phone, it's not very good. Oh, it's not your hands, it almost went with Android. None of that's happened this time round. Uh, well, that's true. And I think you know, that reaction is important. And it, it's very difficult to estimate what impact that has. And I think the media can be a bit of a bubble. The other thing that's been common in a lot of the reviews is uh, the pricing comments. We talked about that last week and being a little bit frustrated by it, but also people going, oh, it's being held back because it's Windows Phone. And there's been reviews looking at saying, oh, it, it doesn't have the Google ecosystem on it, which is an absolutely fair comment. If you're you know, heavily into using Google services, you know, Windows Phone may not be for you. I think it honestly depends on how deeply you go into it. If you're just using calendar and email, it's probably not an issue because, you know, that works fine. You can put in your Google account and all things come down. If it's things like Google Hangouts or Google Plus, 
you know, you're probably better off with a, an Android device, or at least arguably. And then Google Maps is a bit different. I actually think here Maps overall is superior when you look at it on the global viewpoint, not just on a one country viewpoint. Um, but equally well, you can turn that around if you're using Microsoft services. Why on earth would you buy anything apart from a, a Windows phone device? And, you know, it's a bit like criticizing, um, you know, an Android device for not working well with Apple services. So it, this ecosystem thing does come up again. It's lock in. I think honestly, most people aren't so completely locked in that they won't consider something else or are probably like me and they actually are mixed across several ecosystems. And so you, know, you, you use both and on a mobile device, actually the critical stuff is kind of contacts, email and calendar and everything else is kind of a bonus or at least you're maybe less fussy about it. Uh, but more than that, it was also this idea that Microsoft and Windows Phone is holding Nokia back and people point to the evidence of Nokia adding things in in the Lumia Amber update like glance screen, um, like low like, power Bluetooth and like and the, the storage issue, like, like the, the camera, storage issue, like and, the cinemagraph and things. And it's completely true to say that. On the other hand, I think it's also fair to say that the the platform provider always ha- holds back the handset provider. The same thing happened in you know for Nokia in the days of Symbian. It was always well waiting for the Symbian update before we can do something like that. It was just an internal responsibility. But those delays still happened. And those that remember the slow update cycles for Symbian, by comparison, Windows Phone's been pretty good. And I think it's been exacerbated by the by what's actually in GDR2. A lot of it is enablers for future stuff, and the same is going to happen in the next update as well. And it's enablers for particular types of silicon. It's enablers to let Nokia put this camera in hardware that otherwise wouldn't support it for new Bluetooth, uh, for other bits and pieces. And so the actual features being added are relatively few. Honestly, I think that is a problem for Microsoft. They need to make sure there's some new features going in. But Windows Phone has always been very careful about adding features because it's the ethos is around you know, simplicity, I think, rather than feature rich. And, you know, it is a contrast between Android and Windows Phone that we've talked about before. Uh, but I also feel some of that criticism about, you know, Windows Phone being a weakness isn't entirely merited and does come from the perspective of a technical press that is generally an iOS or Android using and therefore you know, isn't as familiar with Windows Phone or, you know, doesn't appreciate that the strength it does have. And, and th- needs that conflict in the story. And yes, I mean, let's be honest, you know, when you're writing a review, you are looking for points to criticise just as you're looking for points to praise. You know, it's trying to keep a, a balanced viewpoint. So it's very easy to say, oh, I don't like Windows Phone. And if you're not familiar with it or don't use it on a daily basis, um, it, that's actually fair enough because after all, Windows Phone is only used by a majority of people, uh, a minority of people. And so the majority of smartphone users, at least, would be switching from someone else. So it's not unfair to have a debate about you know, that ecosystem question. But I think sometimes it's lent a little bit too much weight. And so it's interesting to see a review going, if you want the best camera phone, no question, buy a Lumia 1020, but maybe think about Windows Phone. It is there, but I mean, I wonder if there's anything that can be done by Microsoft or Nokia to address that perception and you know, how fair is it to talk about that sort of thing? Um, be interested to hear from our listeners, their views on that. You know, I think it depends very much on your perspective, your past device experience and how you use device for high-end users who are you know heavily enmeshed in an existing ecosystem undoubtedly it's harder to switch for those who are you know a less immersed or you know a relatively agnostic or you know run across multiple ecosystems it's a much easier decision to be made and i think actually the majority of users are still in that kind of early stage of lock-in 
Whereas a lot of the tech media and the high end users, you know, the people that are most valuable when talking about smartphones on Twitter, on Facebook and everywhere else, you know, the early adopters or the engagers, you know, they perhaps you know, lack the perspective to sort of step back and go, actually, it doesn't apply to everyone. So if I was starting from fresh, which ecosystem would I go for? And that's a, that's a much harder question to answer. Uh, and it does come back to what I, you know, say when I'm asked about this for a recommendation, if you're a power user or feel that, you know, you like fiddling with things, go for a, an Android device or maybe consider iOS. iOS, you know, if you want things as simple as possible, but are willing to pay that price premium that comes with it. Yes, definitely worth looking at. But for a lot of other people, you know, the 80% of the market, I say, at least give Windows Phone consideration, even if you ultimately decide to go elsewhere. And, and that's certainly reflected in Nokia's marketing. I mean, I ran into Connor Pierce, who's um, Nokia's MD in Europe at this job lens launch. And he said, yep, it's, it's still about building awareness and building consideration. And we believe we're building great products, but we still need to work on getting people you know, to look at the products, to consider them when they're making a purchase decision. And that's work, you know, about getting them into the stores and actually getting the salespeople interested in selling the devices as well. And I think that last point is perhaps the most important. You know, you've got to have salespeople who are willing to sell a handset and not just recommend something else. And we talked about commission-based stuff in the past, so we won't repeat that. But that's where I think the 1020 may be quite interesting in that because it's got this kind of outstanding unique feature it will cause people to to take a second look and salespeople in the shops customers going into the shops and suddenly going oh maybe i need to give this windows phone a little more consideration and then salesperson goes uh yeah but it's really complicated to use so the samsung galaxy s4 has got just as good a camera really uh and i know you're not going to bring it back to me when you realize it's a different phone to the one your friends have that i think is the biggest challenge it is. I mean, there's still a, a lot of work to be done there. I mean, people may not realise this about mobile phone stores, but a lot of it is driven They're by built commission. By elves. Well, they aren't. They aren't built by elves, but they are driven by commission. And actually, a salesperson is not surprisingly looking to sell as many handsets as they can. And but any time spent doing support on someone bringing a handset back. It's time taken away from selling. Well, more importantly, if a customer brings a handset back, their commission's actually affected so what happens is the kind of sales commission to that shop is effectively reduced in half if a handset is returned or swapped for something else and so i think the avenue that nokia need to go down is trying to persuade you know retailers and it's the salespeople effectively and this can be in high street stores or it can be on the phone to sell a windows phone device because actually they the industry figures tend to show that along with ios they're returned um, much less than the Android and some of the other devices. You can't always trust these figures, but you know you see this uh, user satisfaction level. It does tend to be higher, and obviously it can vary from handset to handset. Some handsets have a you know a specific problem that means they get returned more. But uh, if I was Nokia, that would be the avenue you know I would look at to kind of solve this you know problem out in the high street about how do you get consideration, how do you drive sales, and it is again a chicken and egg effect, and it will be a kind of a virtuous circle once. Things get going. I think it already is. You know, sales are increasing. Um, in the UK, we're up to about eight percent of current uh, smartphone sales are now Windows Phone. That's not very far away from that kind of magical ten percent figure. Yeah. Um, well, this is the point where somebody's going to go back and listen to a podcast from twenty eleven, where we say what the market share was going to be at the end of twenty thirteen, and yeah, didn't quite manage it. Um, <laughs> there we go. But let me to be fair. Nokia, of course, did about thirty to thirty five million ha- units of handsets 
this year, 10 million from the other Windows Phone's partners. There's a fighting shot. Windows Phone gets 50 million handsets sold in 2013. Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at the numbers for the last quarter, it was uh, 7.6 million. You can probably add on maybe another million and a half from other Windows Phone manufacturers. Let's be conservative and say, you know, eight and a half. You know, add that to the previous quarter, you know, you get to maybe 15. I think it's a big ask to get to 50 million, honestly. But the next quarter, uh, the outlook, you know, Nokia wasn't willing to commit to a, a, a specific number. But, you know, if, if they can do sort of towards 10 million in the next couple of quarters, things start looking much healthier uh, for Windows Phone. And you know, some of the early evidence we're seeing, the Kantar World Panel data, for example, does suggest that, you know, the momentum that they've um, had has, has continued and sales have been increasing. So I think there's a very good chance um, that we'll see, you know, by the time the Q3 results come around, that that, you know, unit sales number has gone up again. I suspect it may not be quite as fast as before, so I don't think it'll necessarily quite, quite reach uh, 10 million, but that remains to be seen. Um, but uh, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, what's that magic sales? There is no magic sales. You know, there is no quarter which suddenly defines success or failure. Um, if I was going to come down to one thing, it would actually be when Nokia's smartphone division starts making money. I mentioned this on the podcast where we discussed Nokia's results. On the current cost structure, that's about 12.5 million handsets. And so for me, that will be the important psychological barrier where smartphones start making money for Nokia again. Um, and I think, you know, looking at where things are going with all the handsets that are coming out, you know, we're talking about the 1020 now, but there's also the 928 over on Verizon, the 520 getting ranged in more networks in the States, uh, you know, the 625 coming out this week. It's quite possible to see a day when that, you know, sustainable or that profit level of unit sales is reached and i think it might be sooner rather than later um you know with the caveat i don't expect it to be the next quarter i thought we agreed to put in a fake model number there on that list just to see if anybody was paying attention ah i forgot to do that but ah. uh, you know everybody but oh, oh rave's seen a new handset oh it says oh what's that going to be what's this 829 going to be well the sign the sign of a platform having success is that people start creating fake photoshop phones and submitting them as news stories and we have seen a couple of those in the last week and i expect to see more of them in the future so uh what the honestly it's a verizon phone yeah but you photoshopped it as yellow well it wasn't so much that it was the copy of the back of another phone i mean the worst photoshops are the ones that are lazy and don't make any effort to hide the fact that it's come from another phone but joking aside to say that's kind of a sign that people are starting to be uh, more interested with all of this you know talk about how well windows you do still have to put it in the context you know samsung sold a huge number of um, smartphones in the last quarter they don't release actual numbers but you know when they do it's shipping numbers it it, is and it's in the order of you know a factor of 10 more than nokia perhaps it depends who you listen to Mm -hmm. and and similarly apple you know despite the fact their iphone sales have gone down they have got shrinking market share you know they're still a long way ahead i I suppose if you want to offer a word of encouragement it's that nokia is going back into the towards the top five smartphone manufacturers and certainly does seem to be the healthiest of the chasing pack you know you can't help but compare its fortunes with HTC that is now predicting a big loss in going into Q3 in terms of its profit numbers and declining sales and all of that. Despite the fact I actually think they're doing a pretty fantastic job with their high-end handset. The HTC One is a really good device and the HTC One Mini, which I saw for the first time 
uh, this week is also a pretty attractive handset. Um, Onesia, you know, if you're looking at buying an Android handset, those are the two I'd give serious consideration to going uh, uh, and looking at. Um, if you're looking for the, at the lower end, it becomes a more complicated question. Uh, I mean, I like the Galaxy S4, but I actually think Samsung have been somewhat lazy with it as a, a, a handset in that it didn't break as much new ground as I was expecting it to. You know, you, you can't expect every handset to be amazing and new, but um, certainly HTC don't get the credit they deserve. Uh, and similarly, you know, Sony with their Xperia line, done a pretty good job creating handsets which just goes to show you know we talk about how good a handset is and is it the best and often that has very little to do with how successful it ends up being i do kind of keep half an eye on sony because sony of course bought out the ericsson part of sony ericsson and then started doing their own branded android handsets about the same time as nokia kicked off with the um lumia 800 so it's always interesting to see what sony are up to relative wise handset wise it's sort of uh, where could Nokia have been if they'd went Android? Kind of roughly where Sony are. Um, and the Xperia Z, not Sony's first true high-end handset, I would say, on Android. That's the waterproof one you've seen in there. It's nice. It's relatively stylish. Their, their UI is, is minimal compared to something like Samsung. Um, they, they put quite a bit of effort into the Bravia screen technology and the camera. Um, it's 12 megapixels, not bad shooter. Um, Steve is now rolling in his grave and just going, no, it's terrible. Uh, don't be stupid. Uh, but you've got 1020, so shut up. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Nokia and Sony, I kind of think, are both in the sort of same position. They, they were once great. They're trying to do it again. But Nokia is starting to pull ahead. Nokia is starting to show what they can do with their own platform. Maybe they could have done that with Android as well. But certainly, I don't think that the sales numbers would have been that much different. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the uh, Sony and the HTC comparison of Nokia is interesting, but one has to be careful and recognize that they are quite different companies. And Nokia has mobile phones, Nokia Siemens Network, and the Here division. Um, just as you know, Sony has other consumer electronics, and HTC is probably the weakest because it doesn't have that uh, additional businesses. So that's why it's falling. Smartphone sales is so serious in terms of the business health. Um, but you're right. You know, Sony is a good example of what might have been, and you know, they're doing some innovation as well. There's sort a of rumor suggest they're going to produce a, a handset. I think it's codenamed Honomai, which has a, a 20 megapixel camera sensor. It's not quite clear how all of that is going to to work, but it's, you know, rumoured to be use... two 10 megapixels side by side and use it well, it's, pictures. That's it, a 20 megapixel. It, it's rumoured to use the same Exomor RS sensor that's found in the, the Galaxy camera and a number of other point and shoots. And so, you know, it's a bigger... Uh, physical sensor and so it starts to go the direction that nokia went with things like the nokia n8 uh, not to the same extent as the 808 or the 1020 but it, it might you know mark them out so i think it's interesting and you know there's also said to be you know a 3000 milliamp hour battery a fast process and so it's going to be clearly sony's new high-end handset for the christmas season um and yes all those conversations you know we can't ever it seems get away from the debate about Nokia and Android, and frankly, I, I find it a bit tiring now because I think the question has been well and truly answered. It, it remains an interesting what-if game to play late at night when you haven't got anything else to talk about. Or you need traffic. Or you, or you need traffic, yes. Uh, but for me, it was never really in that much doubt. I mean, I accept there are still people out there who would love to have a, a Nokia handset running Android, but actually I think it says more about the 
you know, plaudits that Nokia gets for its hardware design and the fact that people like the Nokia hardware so much rather than it, it says a lot about uh, Android. Maybe that's a, a little unfair, but I think if you look at it purely from a business point of view, it's abundantly clear why Nokia chose Windows Phone. And I think, it, you know, it was going to be a risky strategy whichever way they went. But the evidence is that, you know, certainly they made that right decision, Windows Phone versus Android. Whether it was the right decision, Windows Phone versus going it alone, uh, I don't think people are going to be able to have a satisfactory answer to that for a while yet. Although Jola pers- will not give us an answer to that before <laughs> you start leaving no. the Selfish is nice. I'll uh, give it that. And honestly, I, I feel the question has already been answered. You, you look at the kind of where Nokia has got with Microsoft, where it got without Microsoft, it is difficult to you know give an absolute answer because you can't look back in the past, but you have to consider things like the platform payments that have most definitely been to Nokia's advantage from a, a financial health point of view. But you also need to look about what comes next. And it comes back to what I said the very first time I talked about this was that I think to build a modern smartphone ecosystem and a smartphone ecosystem is a misnomer. It's a mobile ecosystem or technology ecosystem. You can't just do it as a single company and, uh, particularly in the position that Nokia and that was very true. And I think that remains the case even now. So hopefully we won't come back to that too many more times, but something tells me that might be wishful thinking. There we go. Uh, right then, do we have time for App of the Week? Let's just do App of the Week very quickly. Okay, I'm not going to choose Pro Camera, um, even though I seem to have been using it quite a lot in the last week. I'm going to choose Scroll Tiles. Um, you select some of your favourite pictures, it puts them on a tile and it scrolls through the pictures. That's nice. Excellent. That's, so that's it, a good really? App, yeah. App I now week. have Charlie the Cat at the top of my screen, just variously putting her head out of boxes and smiling and doing cat-like things. And uh, it's it's quick, it's fast, it's free. Again, it's customization, but it still keeps everything in that sort of live tile, metro, we don't call it that anymore, Windows Phone 8 design language style. So you can customize your handset while still staying inside the UI. Excellent. Well, I was going to talk about job lens, but we've kind of mentioned that already. So I'll just mention another high profile arrival, which is. Whoa, 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 whoa. You've been using job lens for the last week. Is there something you're not telling us? <laughs> I've just been trying it out in, in demo mode. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Check CV. Uh, and uh, that's uh, the one I want to talk about is Hipster Mac. It's Ogle and Ogle Pro, oh, uh, which oh, I've oh, just oh, spotted oh, I've oh, managed oh, to misspell in the headline. So I'll have to correct that in just a moment. This is kind of a high profile arrival because of two reasons. It kind of captures the zeitgeist for this social photo sharing and mucking your photos up with filters or making them look really creative and nice, depending on your point of view. Uh, and it, it, it could be described as Instagram for hipsters. That's maybe a little unkind, but it, it is another of these social, social photo sharing services. If I can get that tongue twister out. It also attracts attention because it's previously only been a bit available on iOS. It's now available uh, on Windows Phone, you kind of wonder how much money Nokia had to hand over to make that Ooh, happen. Is it available on Android? No, it's not. <laughs> so, you know, it's more of this ecosystem going back and forth. Uh, but also because it's actually the only official way to get a photo from a Windows Phone device up to Instagram. That's because Hipstomatic actually have a formal agreement that allows them to share their photos onto Instagram. All the other kind of Instagram clients on Windows Phone, of which there are a number of third-party ones, are kind of using various workarounds or unofficially using the API. And actually, we've just had some news in this morning that uh, it looks like Instagram is moving to block some of those apps uh, by deleting 
photos off their service after they've been uploaded. There's more on the site on that as well as uh, Ogle. The Ogle Pro is just a version for the 1020 that has some extra tricks in the camera portion of the app, taking advantage of uh, the zoom and uh, the other kind of camera settings. Having said we'll talk about the 1020, we didn't really mention it as much as we should should have done, Ewan, but uh, there's plenty of time to talk about it in the next podcast, and I think we're going to have an imaging-heavy focus next time round. I heard what you did there. Uh, yes, I know. It wasn't very I subtle. Wasn't, it wasn't as good as your cultural references. I know. I mean, you probably missed at least half of them. Uh, I, I would imagine so. Yeah, we should run a little ticket inside one of those little ding counters, uh, like you have in Movie Mistakes. But there we go. Uh, that's your All About Windows Phone Insight podcast. It was number 17. We didn't reach for a 17-minute mark, but we got close. <laughs> the raw edit of this is 65 minutes long. Uh, there you go, folks. Enjoy that one. Uh, <laughs> Rafe will now take out everything I say to bring it down to 63 minutes. Post it up on the website where you can leave your comments back at allaboutwindowsphone.com or on Facebook, Twitter, Hardle Pile, MySpace, and all the other places uh, where you can find media lifted from one website and post it up somewhere else so they can get to do the land sentence income. But hey, you still hear the words, so we're happy. Uh, thank you all very much for listening. 